And we're back, and you are listening to Villain Cast, BJJ Antiheroes, with myself, Chris the Villain Pains, and welcome to the State of the Union. So, it has been a crazy couple of weeks. Um, I've been traveling across Europe, uh, to parts of Europe I wouldn't have been able to find on a map up until recently, uh, more on that later, which has meant there is no Reap of the Week this week, or special guests you are stuck with me. Um, this is a, a show from the road. I'm about to go out and do one last little trip into Europe for a while. Um, so I thought this was kind of a, a prime time to talk about where we've come from since we brought this podcast back 22 weeks ago, I think it is now. We're, I think, about 23 episodes, 22 episodes in since uh, the the podcast came back alive again. And it's it's been fantastic. Uh, so the, the numbers of listeners to this have, have increased about 20-fold since since we brought it back which is utterly insane thank you so much for for tuning in thank you for listening to this um this thing we've created uh thank you for for joining onto the videos and the patreon that again um more on that later but that's that's i'm really enjoying that um and i'm really looking forward to to where this podcast is going so when it came back I wasn't really thinking about kind of a general direction. I, I, I kind of knew that I wanted to get interesting coaches in and talk about just coaching practices, not just talking to athletes or anything like that, but right, how do we actually get people more fired up in jujitsu and, and open up new avenues of learning? Um, but it's, it's just so much bigger than that. It's given me a whole new appreciation for teaching and, and training in jujitsu. Uh, for example, the it won't be too long. Hopefully, hopefully, it's it's you never know with these things. Trying to arrange guests, um, we've even got uh, nutritionists coming on. Hopefully, to talk about not just healthy eating, um, but also uh, the psychology of nutrition. And that's that's one thing that I, when it, you know, when I was talking about this uh, with this person, um, I remember when I first started training in jiu-jitsu and competing and cutting weight it was very unhealthy and i don't know if we've really moved on as a sport since then it's very much bro science in that way in that you you get ideas from other people in the gym i mean sure there's some really good uh, nutritional advice out there in in combat sports but it's not always taken or easily found and if only i'd known how much that was going to mess me up um and and i give me such an unhealthy attitude towards food in that way that you know cause her kind of bouncing around of uh, uh, weight and instead of just finding something that was that was psychologically healthy so i'm really excited to to have that conversation and put that into the world um also just just is being able to look after your body in jiu-jitsu i'm really excited to talk to, to to people about um athlete health uh again it's one of those things that you know being a, a a young young man in my 20s thinking i was invincible and very much not being and thinking that 
general trauma, including to the head, was okay. And now I look at the the folks in my gym and I'm looking at them doing similar mistakes to what I said. And I have to try and convince them, like, no, like you are not invincible. Uh, chill the fuck out. Let's let's not do this to ourselves. Um, and I appreciate this podcast for for allowing me the platform to talk to those people. So it's 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 so cool, and I'm I'm sorry this is going to seem like a a crazy rant for the next thirty minutes, but it's the state of the union. Where where are we at? So yeah, athlete health and coaching. That's being able to talk to those people again. If you can check out the uh, Josh Janis podcast uh, of breath work and anxiety control, I would have never thought when we first brought this back in May, that that was even going to be a possibility. But here we are. Um, I also want to talk about how training has changed. So especially with the the conversations with Greg Sodas and Rob Bianacki and, and Rob Cole, um, being able to look at new ways of coaching. Um, and that's fundamentally changed how I now operate in my gym. And... Um, how to create a different team environment that is healthier for for everyone involved. And I think the big change with that, which then improved all other aspects of jiu-jitsu, is this idea that we are a team. And I know it's it's easy to say that with we're all t- parts of teams, um, but that only seems to apply when we get to competitions or the uniforms that we wear. But when we got on the mats, um, we abuse each other to a point where it becomes quite toxic. And I said this before, so if you haven't uh, tuned into that uh, the previous podcast, it's probably on the Reap of the Week somewhere. Um, this idea that there's a hierarchy in the gym and that your main... I think it was the Rob Binaki podcast where he said, you know, you're, for everyone, the for, for, not everyone, for most people your main form of competition is your own team and you have a hierarchy in the gym and we try and keep ourselves in that hierarchy. You look at people above you and think, I'm coming for you because that's maybe how you get your next belt. And then you look at people below you and you think, right, you're staying down there. I'm I'm in the hierarchy and I'm going to climb this hierarchy. And especially because you know, we compete and it's, all manner of weights, genders, ages. Um, it's a way of, you know, jujitsu is a game of power. It's how much we can create power and negate someone else's power. And because of that, when we compete, we are essentially trying to cancel out the athleticism power aspect. And so we can just measure skill level by and large. Obviously, power is always going to be a factor in it. But when you're someone who's a similar weight and age and gender, it takes that out of it. It's very similar to competitive cycling in that we're trying to measure the athlete, not the athlete plus the bike. And so all the bikes have a weight limit of how how light they can be. Or horse racing, where the jockeys have to weigh in and... So you're then measuring the horse and not horse and jockey. Like you could have a, a, a super light jockey that would give a horse an advantage. 
it's the exact same with with combat sports in this way is that if we try and cancel out as much as we can in regards to weight and power we can measure the skill level but that goes the second we enter the gym and as soon as we walk into our, our dojos or whatever um we try and keep ourselves in that hierarchy and that then becomes toxic and that's when people get hurt and seeing that and understanding that and then going actually no we're taking this out uh sorry um we're going to take the hierarchy out of this gym we are a team it's a rising tide um if we all get better if we if we help each other improve and take our you know again one of those famous things in jiu-jitsu leave your ego at the door it's the the most uh hilarious thing to hear because we we very much bring our ego with us um especially when it comes to this hierarchy and you start to get colored belts around around your waist um the analogy that I, I helped to, to give this idea is the one of my son where, it, you know, he's nine, depending when you listen to this, and I want to improve him playing football in goal. I can either blast the ball at him, kick over his head or kick off the field or just just ab- abuse the fact that I am the adult in this in this exchange. Or I can kick the ball at the goal, which in a way that he may or may not save it. But there's a chance he could. And if I can do that with him, then he will get better over time to the point where he may start saving it. And it also helps him, say if he had a game tomorrow, that he's now got experience in goal. Because if I was just chipping over his head for an hour, that's not helping him. And if you take that into every exchange in the gym, where there is an adult and child dynamic, there is a power dynamic, is up to the the stronger powered individual to look after the lower one and build them up. And eventually, if you build them up enough, they'll start testing you, which makes you improve. Obviously, that then builds the entire gym up. I think that, you know, I'm, I'm always open to improvement, but that alone has improved the gym culture so much. And I'm... It's so easy to get stuck into the the ideas that you only improve jujitsu through techniques and techniques alone when there's so much ancillary stuff that completely ignores technique and just including that into the training environment has made everyone better. It's, it's brought everyone up faster. Um, and hopefully this, again, I, I want this platform to be able to to spread those ideas out there. So if anyone's listened to this um, and you want to comment, uh, send me a message, if you'd be able to implement similar ideas, I'd be really, really interested in, in hearing about that. It's also given me a completely different appreciation for fundamentals in that it's easy when, when we when we talk about fundamentals in the sense of a basic beginner's class of, okay, here's close guard, half guard, butterfly guard, side control, mount, back mount, uh, arm bar, ring, naked choke, triangle. That's normally the idea of fundamentals. And it kind of sets us up in the future then for... We have base classes. I mean, again, put your hand up if this sounds anywhere near familiar. Um, 
we have fundamentals classes where you're learning all these basic uh, movements and positions. And then you have advanced classes, which are inverted shit, which whatever that means. Um, And complex guards. When, in fact, I would say you need to go back a step. And the idea that fundamentals is balance, posture, alignment, being upright, you know, true conceptual beginnings. Um, again, I have analogies for everything. I guess this is my way of seeing the world. And uh, the one I use for this is the idea of the bonsai tree of all the kind of techniques you have in jiu-jitsu, especially when it comes to defense. Um, they're leaves on the end of branches. And to, to, to paraphrase horrendously Kurt Osiander on this, when he used to say, if anyone ever asked him the question, like, how do you defend a very naked choke? He'd refuse to answer and say, well, I could show you, but people are still taking your back. How about we stop people taking your back and figure that problem out? Because then it stops everything bad happening from your back. I like that idea. But then that completely changes how you have to train is that snipping a leaf off is going to be very detail-oriented. Whilst cutting down a branch like stopping people taking your back in the first place, that's more of a grind. That's a completely different set of, of knowledge tools. And I like the idea then of working our way back down that bonsai tree. So you could then look at, okay, well, if we work on guard retention, then no one's taking our back or getting mount or side control or anything. So would it make more sense then that, to spend long, even if you want to kill everything, spend longer hacking down that very large branch. So, what's the base of the tree? What's the very bottom that if we cut this down, everything dies? And that is balance, posture, and alignment. It is my ability to stay upright, my ability to keep my back postured. And that doesn't mean like just posturing up like, like you're doing close guard. I mean, keeping a good neutral spine that allows for power creation um and then alignment so having your joints aligned that makes it difficult for your balance to be broken again going back to what i said earlier this is a game of power and it is our job to to maximize our ability to create power and negate someone else's and Unfortunately, jiu-jitsu very much became the cult of the guard. And by that, I mean, compared to other grappling arts like judo and wrestling, guard is kind of our unique selling point in that they don't really use a guard. Wrestling definitely doesn't, and, and judo had one, but it's kind of definitely fallen by the wayside on that one. So we have guard, and we can do a lot of cool stuff from guard, except we kind of got stuck in that and we just became obsessed with guard to the detriment of everything else, um, including our connection to reality, as it were, when it came to to effective fighting. Um, And going back to what I said about power creation and negation, if I can... I've used these numbers before just because it's easy maths in my head. Say if you imagine a fulcrum and a lever, if you have a power level of four 
and you move down the the lever away from the fulcrum, it's a multiplier of your power. So, for example, if you look at the elbow and you move down the elbow towards the fingers, um, as you get towards the fingers, it's a, it's a further along the lever, and your power level has now gone from four to sixteen. But then, say, you come across someone who is already at sixteen. They could almost just—they could go halfway up the lever and still be at thirty-two. If they go all the way up to the end and times it by four, they're at sixty-four now. There's no way your sixteen is going to be that sixty-four. You're doomed. Um, so it's your job to try and maximize your ability to use power and negate theirs as much as possible and hope the numbers match up. And again, if we were in space and I pushed you. We'd both fly off in different directions, but that's not the case. We are connected to the ground. And so my ability to generate power is my body and postural alignment connected to the ground that allows me to generate force and power. And if you know, you've ever lifted anything in the gym, you make sure you have good postural alignment, good good spine, good back, and good alignment with your joints to be able to create enough power to execute your lift. As soon as you start messing with your posture and alignment, that lift drops. And here we are in a sport that requires power creation, and we can completely mess up our posture and alignment. And that's why we put people on the ground, because it disconnects them from that battery. Okay, sure, they can uh, push to their legs, because their back is connected to the battery, connected to the ground. But their ability to generate force is a lot less. That's why we do jujitsu. We take people to the ground for this very reason. But we got stuck in that messaging and we think it's okay to be on our back. When in fact, against someone who has balance, who isn't going to fall over, who can stay connected to the ground, has posture and alignment that allows them to maximize their ability to generate power, being on your back is a terrible idea. It is so, so bad. Because if you cannot affect this person's posture and balance, you have no hope. And they're going to to beat the shit out of you. Um, bad plan. Uh, and because it's, you know, when we talk, you know, this whole thing is talking about fundamentals. Because these things are mildly talked about, but then completely glossed over, because we, we are obsessed as a sport of technique, technique, technique. Um, instead of good conceptual movement, um, it gets forgotten. And we then have people who fall over, who have poor power creation. And with that, we then think our fighting from our back is good. And then we come across people who do MMA, wrestlers, judoka, who don't fall over. And all of a sudden we realize, actually, we're training against people who are not fundamentally sound, which then gives us a full sense of how good we actually are. That's kind of embarrassing. I know there's that video recently, is it Jesse Enkamp, who, the karate guy, uh, who went to a competition and he just thought, I'm just going to stand up. And, you know, I, I don't know, it's, it's pretty experienced. I think he did a bit of MMA, he's done obviously a lot of karate, but that's not grappling. And he just stood up and it completely flummoxed and bamboozled everyone involved i think he won or something stupid or at least he got a medal and come on if karate people are now laughing at us that is that's pretty terrible um we need to fix this we need to fix this as a sport
So I like this idea of, okay, let's let's fix our fundamentals. Um, again, back to analogy town. Um, uh, one thing that I picked up from the fire service, um, I know it's featured everywhere, but I guess they were really big into teaching stuff, is this idea of conscious competence. And by that I mean, the first level is unconscious incompetence. You don't know what you don't know. You can look at a car and go, I don't know how that works. Like, okay. Or just cars that go past and you don't even realize that you don't know how that works. You then get in a car for the first time and a driving instructor explains to you, right, here's the pedals, here's the steering wheel, the gear stick, if you're in the England, uh, in the rest of the world, not America, <laughs> um, the stick shift etc uh, etc et and you go right okay cool i have now you told me all these things i don't know how still how to move this car you are consciously incompetent i think i said unconsciously incompetent on the previous one yeah so now you're you've gone from unconsciously incompetent to consciously incompetent um <laughs> you're now starting to learn to drive the car and you can now turn indicate etc you're now consciously competent you can drive but you have to think about it um which means that anything other than like driving and operating that car uh such as good hazard perception and reading the road ahead too much way too much we're still uh driving this car around just getting used to the movement of it and then eventually you become uh, so good at driving that car and so comfortable and confident with it you become unconsciously competent you can just operate that car and at that point you can then look into other things like you know turning on the heated seats looking for hazard perception adjusting things I don't know whatever people do in cars um, now look at that when it comes to your jujitsu is that is your posture your back alignment um, your your joint alignment and your balance good enough that you could keep them without having to think about them. And I say this from a point of uh, view that from doing a lot of this now, I am still realizing that I am just about consciously competent in my own body. I can't think ahead at all right now. Um, I just have to maintain this. And then eventually I may start bringing be able to bring techniques back into it and playing with gps and changing the radio but right now my my body fundamentals are terrible and that is the base of the tree is that if you can have good posture balance and alignment maximize your ability to generate power you have a better shot at jujitsu because if people can't get you to the ground they ain't doing anything to you um and so i've been been in Europe, I was in Switzerland doing the offense defense camp with Sven Groton. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. He's a fantastic grappler from Cologne. Um, I very much recommend checking him out. Uh, going to his gym, he is a beast, um, and also just a really smart guy when it comes to to grappling arts. I can't really sing his praises enough. Um, then. I've been in Belisi in Georgia, in Eastern Europe. Uh, I did find it kind of hilarious that I was going to Georgia 
a country known for its wrestling and its judo to talk about standing up in jiu-jitsu. I did appreciate how insane that sounded. Um, and finally, I've just been uh, across Germany in Munich and Hamburg. Uh, again, spreading the good word and just doing this one seminar of, right, let's appreciate what good fundamentals feels like. And each time, I think it becomes very apparent how much once you've felt it, it becomes very difficult to go back to normal rolling of playing guard and falling over. I even did a bit of an experiment in my in the last seminar I did in Hamburg, which was we did a three-hour class on this, and then the final half an hour, I said, right, roll, just humor me. Don't fall over. Keep your balance. Be conscious of your posture and alignment at all times. What happens? And after a five-minute roll, I think one of the, the purple belts in attendance turned to me and went, do a lot of people throw up when you teach like this? And I was like, weirdly enough, yes. Uh, it's difficult. I know, I've realized. Um, <laughs> I then said, right, what? same roll, but I want one of you to forget the last three hours and just roll like you did yesterday. One person, you've just been to the seminar, remain as clued in as you are. And they did that and then they swapped. I went, it feels weird, doesn't it? It feels weird to go back to how you rolled before. And this is a good mix of students. Those students that have been there for 10 years, 12 years, or, you know, even their, the, the main coach had been there for 20 years. And they were like, yeah, it feels weird to go back to not being consciously competent of our bodies, um, being aware of our posture and balance and how much that affects the role. And I really appreciate that and thought it made me think that I want to carry on doing this seminar. I want to make it into something bigger um, and and spread this idea. I know that Rob Bianacchi does talk about this a lot. I haven't watched much of his stuff at all. Um, I imagine there's a convergence somewhere. Um, but then tying this onto the Preet stuff and how you can go from the Preet stuff offensively back into using posture and balance to then turn the Preet stuff quite offensive. Um these are quite new ideas. I'm using them in the gym quite a lot. But if you are a member of the Patreon channel, we're currently doing How to Defend Everything 3.0. And it's a part of that. And I want, you know, if you're if you're signed up on onto the Patreon, um, these videos are coming out. So I'd like, I'd like to hear your feedback if, uh, if that's all available. Um, when it comes to the gym, this is pretty much all we've been doing. And... It has made me realize that how I may know a lot of technique, but that it's not fundamentally sound. And it's really making me reevaluate my my understanding of jujitsu entirely. Um, and so then to go out into the world and then test these ideas on seminars, I'm very appreciative. Uh, it's it's going to be a busy calendar. I am looking at coming back into Europe uh, over December. I'm currently booked in Florence and a couple of opportunities around Germany so if anyone wants to have a chat with me uh, I'm very much uh, up for for talking about this uh, this style of training and and paying a visit Um, and that leads on to so I'm trying to then turn this into a book and uh, I've been starting to write it and it's made it very difficult to then because I want to like redo almost Jiu-Jitsu University like how would you learn jiu-jitsu from a beginner and up 
it made me appreciate that actually looking at submissions, how many submissions don't work for starters? Well, you have to be really lucky and hope the other person's pretty stupid. Um, to what would I abandon? And there's a lot of jujitsu I'd kind of abandon now. Uh, even with my own classes, uh, I've abandoned so much stuff of stuff that just doesn't work. Side control, it's not there. Um, it doesn't make any sense. Um, so how the hell do I then gauge students for promotions, which is kind of an interesting one as well, is that could I give someone a blue belt or purple belt who I've not ever taught side control to? Because I know we're supposed to be doing jujitsu, and there's a certain level of appreciation of someone's knowledge of jujitsu when you when you find out their belt color. But how would you feel if you came across a blue belt or purple belt who didn't know what half guard was, or close guard, or side control? They had this fundamentally insane jujitsu. They made them very impossible to put down, and they were very good at control, um, very free flow of their control. They understand fundamentally what control is about but they don't understand the, the the generic positions. Do I have to show them those positions? Am I obligated for tradition? I don't know. I'm trying to figure that one out. And it's, it's forming a part of the book, really. It's, it's quite interesting where that direction is going of, okay, could we redo that famous book of Jiu-Jitsu University with no Jiu-Jitsu involved? Um, it's, it's an interesting undertaking that I thought would be a lot simpler than it is and it's turning out to be quite complicated um i'm going to be again posting videos on these ideas onto the patreon and try and get feedback uh i'm excited i'm nervous i want to see how this goes but it's also scaring me and frustrating me on on how it's shaping up because it's making me evaluate what is important in jiu-jitsu now um and could that even be construed as jiu-jitsu anymore? Which is very curious. Um, part of that idea as well was to, to make the documentary of could we take eight, uh, could we take a bunch of beginners, people who have no grappling experience into an eight-week course and teach them this style of jiu-jitsu and what would they look like at the end of it? Um, wow. Uh, I think the only reason, the reason we haven't really done it is because I've been quite busy with, with bookings for seminars and I want to make sure that you know I'm there every week uh, to be able to do this um, but I guess with the, the winter coming up it should be pretty easy to pull this off and it's going to be a we've been testing a lot of the recording so, uh, equipment and how it comes out and it's been getting more and more interesting because we're starting to record classes okay um, so I want it to look good I want it to to be able to edit it together and people go right get a fair understanding of this beginner course and see what actually happens to people um so that is coming it hasn't been forgotten uh still making headway towards it and it's very much tied in with the book it's tied in with the classes currently it's tied in with this this whole system of right what if what if you abandoned jujitsu entirely didn't introduce jujitsu the way it is currently to these people and we did fundamentally sound conceptual movement what do they look like? Um, it all will all be recorded. I'm now recording classes as well um, for people to check this kind of information out. <coughs> so my voice is going. Um, 
It sounds terrible. I'm going to have to listen to this back. This may be the huskiest video. Uh, video? Video. Audio. Audio recording of a podcast we've ever done. Um, we, as in me, um, we'll see. Uh, so, yeah, that's the, the current state of the union. It's... I put it down to this podcast. I mean, we had the fanatics out we had the youtube channel kind of chugging along you know videos popping up whenever i felt like it uh more in the past and now it's definitely changed it's it's becoming very frequent the patreon channel which is maybe really question of um my understanding of jujitsu because i i like having those people there um supporting that i can then bounce these ideas off and do online coaching with and, and get their feedback on how the stuff is working out for them um <laughs> funny enough there are a couple of people who uh i've taught this idea to over the weekend seminars like such as in georgia and the feedback getting from them is that they are now being accused of being good wrestlers um they have no previous wrestling experience i didn't teach wrestling um but they are now wrestlers apparently uh I find that bizarre. I find that bizarre that you can come across someone who has not done wrestling, is not doing takedowns, who's just remaining balanced and postured and upright. And, oh, you're a wrestler. No, (laughs) I just don't fall over. That's terrifying to think of jujitsu this way. Um, See, so yeah, I blame the podcast mostly for this. It's, it's definitely opened up a lot of conversations, especially being able to bounce ideas off Naki in a, in a public forum, getting people to ask questions on their thoughts on jujitsu, and us to go, right, what do you think? And be able to talk to such fantastic guests. Please, I've got, you know, obviously many uh, in the pipeline that's just finding scheduling that allows for it. If you have anyone you'd, you'd like to hear me talk to uh please just just drop me a line drop them a line guess guess to talk to each other i'm i'm very hopefully excited to be able to talk to people about this um thank you for your time uh this is a different take on a podcast uh just myself ranting if you've enjoyed it if it has made sense if there's other things you'd like me to kind of do with these these state of the unions um Again, let me know. I, I do pay attention to the feedback. I'm not the best at replying to stuff. Uh, I am bouncing around an awful lot. I'm, I get fried in that way. I am trying to get better. Um, but please uh, give me feedback. I do read it, and I will try and improve. And um, if this has been any way useful, if this piqued your curiosity of, with various things, uh, let me know. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you for sticking around and being part of this uh, creation, really. I don't really know what other else to describe it. Um, thank you so much. It really does mean a lot to me. Uh, and, yeah, hopefully see you out on the road, uh, see you on the online coaching, see you talk to you online. Uh, this you all mean so much to me. Uh, thank you. This has been a State of the Union address from myself, Christopher Ellen Paynes, on 
Bill and Cast. Thank you. <laughs>